So Ben uh, Nicka recommended to our family the other day to watch a movie called McFarlane USA. Uh, I, I pass this recommendation on to you. It's a great movie. Thanks for recommending it, by the way. Uh, it's a fantastic film. But this is a, it's a movie, uh, it's a family movie that tells the story of a struggling teacher, a struggling coach, actually, uh, and as a last-ditch effort to save his career, he moves to a very small, very poor town in Southern California, and this takes place in the late 80s. Well, McFarlane, and, and if you look it up in, uh, on a map, you'll see it, it probably has maybe two stoplights in it. It's super, super tiny. But it's a Latino community whose residents are field pickers. And this is hard work that they have been engaging in for generations. And the high schoolers there, every single day, help out in the picking uh, in the fields. Before school, they, they wake up, actually before the sun gets up, uh, and they go and they go out to the fields in order to pick crops like almonds and cabbage and things like that. And then they put on their backpacks and they start running. And they run all the way to their school. And then they sit through a normal day of school doing what high school, normal high schoolers do. Some of them have sports that they practice afterwards. But then after that, they run all the way back to the fields in order to help their parents uh, with the rest of the workday. Well, this is the kind of work that their parents have been doing for generations. Like I said, it's hard work. It doesn't pay well. This is a community that has been very struck by poverty. And the high schoolers, they have no hope that their lives will ever look any different than what it does in that moment. Well, this coach, this, this teacher at their school, at first he tries to get them into football, but he doesn't have very much good luck with that. And he notices just how much running the high schoolers are doing. And so he decides, you know what, we're going to give up football and we're actually going to pivot and we're going to try out cross country. And that's not really a sport that they've thought much about in this community. Well, it turns out these high schoolers are really good. Like they're really, really good at running. These poor pickers, they learn that through their discipline and their internal drive that they can actually be much better at running than some of the teams who've had cross-country teams for years, or some of the other schools that have cross-country teams for years and years. And the running gives these students such joy and purpose and dignity in their lives. And my favorite moment is when a, a coll- or a, the English teacher at this high school pulls a coach aside, and she, sa- she shares this poem with him that one of the, running, one of the students had written. And the poem goes like this. We fly like blackbirds through the orange groves, floating on a warm wind. When we run, we own the earth. The land is ours. We speak the bird's language, not stupid immigrants no more. When we run, our spirits fly. We speak to the gods. When we run, we are gods. Now, like I said, this team, they do really well. And you have to watch the movie. Uh, it's, it's a great film. But the prize for their victories are scholarships and the ability to go to college. They break out of these cycles of poverty. And I lo- my, one of my favorite parts is in the epilogue of this. Many of the runners from the original team, who today, they're adults now, they still come back to this high school and they run with the current high schoolers. Isn't that cool? Like many of them now, even though they could probably go on and leave the community, they actually come back. They come back and they run the race 
with these students. And these runners, they become, they've become agents of transformation and hope in their community. So restoration, here we are. And in some ways, the past six months for us have been like running a very intense race. And that's true for us as a church, as a community, but it's also true for many of you as individuals. There have been many challenges that have been thrown at us. Now, obviously, these challenges are different than generational poverty in Southern California. However, the past six months have produced poverties of a different kind for us. Now, for some of us, that has been financial struggles, financial battles. But also, because of the pandemic, we have been, and we have been used to now phrases like lockdown and quarantine. And, and because of that, we're now under this extreme poverty of relational loneliness. There's a dispersion. There's been a breaking up of friendships and relationships in all of our lives through this season. But also, we're under this, this political upheaval that's going on right now. And because of, of just the, the state of our politicians and our politics right now, there is a fear and an anxiety, a sense of hopelessness and despair that is just rattling all of us, right? There is an anxiety that is taking over almost every conversation that I have with folks. And I'm sure you very much feel the same exact way. And even for our own congregation, this has played out in, in ways that we wouldn't have expected. Here we are outside, you know, I would love to be in a, I mean, this is a beautiful day, don't get me wrong, but we're used to being inside and having, having a, a roof over our heads. We went through weeks and weeks of online worship only, and then weeks and weeks of being outside here without a home. So why is it then, in spite of these challenges that many of you have been facing personally, a lot of the challenges that we as a congregation have been facing corporately. Why is it that in, in spite of all of these challenges, there has been a deep sense of joy here? There's been a deep sense of holy anticipation here, even celebration. I hear it as you guys are walking up into church and putting your chairs down and talking with people and then after the service lingering sometimes for an hour or so because there is still such joy that is present in this congregation. When the circumstances of this world say that we shouldn't have joy right now, things are just too difficult right now, but yet I see it, I feel it here and I know that you do as well. A few weeks ago after the service, uh, a newcomer came up to me and this is someone who just recently moved to the Twin Cities. Uh, he and his family have never worshipped with us in the community center over there. And after the service, he came up to me and he was like, Pastor Rick, I just want to let you know that, that we've decided to make restoration our home. We love this. And God is definitely at work here. And like I said, that's someone who, who wasn't even with us in the community center. Like, how fun is that? So what's going on here? What is it that's going on here? What is it that allows this church, restoration, not just to survive in, in a difficult situation, but to thrive in our present moment? What allows us to gather with authentic joy and peace right now? And I don't mean just a shallow fake like, oh, I'm doing fine, like restoration's fine, we're fine. I don't mean that. Like, I mean a deep, soul-rooted, always-abiding, supernatural, otherworldly, peace, and joy. How is that possible? Where does that come from? Well, those high schoolers in McFarland, 
For them, they understood when they run that race, they understood who, or their understanding of who they are was changing. It was transforming. Through the actual running of the race, their identity, their self-understanding was changing. They went from seeing themselves as, as poor pickers to having a divine calling on their lives. I love that line, we run with the gods from that poem. Like how beautiful is that? Because they kept their eye on this goal, their identity, their self-identity was beginning to transform. Well, friends, in our Bible's reading from today, uh, and we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul reminds the church in in Philippi of a very beautiful truth. He says the Christian life is like a race, and we're all striving together to a common goal. But also, here and now, we are living into a new citizenship that we have. We all have, brothers and sisters, this, this new citizenship, this new identity, this new calling upon our lives. We are citizens of heaven, is what the text tells us today. And this is a truth that rings just as true today as it did 2,000 years ago. You see, friends, brothers and sisters, when we walk through this world, we do so knowing that coronavirus is not the final word. The victory of your favorite politician, and I assure you, uh, the groups that are here today all have different favorite politicians, but I assure you, the victory of your favorite politician is of no comparison to the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Our hope is beyond the things of this world. The reason why we're able to run the difficult race the way that we do, with joy and with gladness in our hearts, is because we know what our prize is. Our prize is Jesus Christ himself, the presence of the creator with us, among us. And our citizenship is not of this earth, it's of heaven. Our citizenship is of heaven. So it's cold outside, so I am going to be talking a little bit uh, more quickly today. But I do want to unpack that phrase, our citizenship is in heaven, and how this God-given identity enables us to run the race today. So what does it mean that our, our citizenship is in heaven? First of all, it's a tongue twister for me, if you, can't, if you haven't already told. But what does that mean? Does it, is it just a happy thought that we, that we kind of bring to mind when we get scared of death? Is that what it means to have our citizenship in heaven? Does it mean that when we die, we're just going to kind of unzip these fleshly bodies and we're going to float away to a castle in the clouds someday? Does it mean that this earth is just going to burn? And so we can just toss it in some kind of uh, cosmic trash can and, and not really care about it that much. Now, those are actually some sort of well-intended, but uh, definitely misguided uh, teachings that I think even exist in the church today. But the Bible actually teaches something quite different. In verse 20 of uh, Philippians 3, we're told that we wait for the moment in which our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, appears. And then here, on this earth, our bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. You see, the Bible teaches, the Bible in its entirety teaches that creation itself is groaning for the day in which it will be transformed. And if we were to flip to some of the final pages of the scriptures to to um, Revelation 21, we would see that the new heavenly city is going to be descending here upon the earth. 
and like a bride and groom coming together on their wedding day, heaven and earth will become one. That's why we always pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our goal. This is the prize. This is the hope that we're running towards, Christians. We are citizens longing for the coming of the king. And this is not some sort of passing uh, waiting. This isn't just like a sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, wondering, you know, looking outside our window, like when's Jesus going to come back? No, Paul compares our waiting to running a race. This is an active engagement. This is a reflecting to those around us the realities of the kingdom here and now. I'm not going to trip that cable for you. Yeah, this isn't, a, this isn't a passive. This is like running a race. We move through this world, allowing the spirit of God to hone and to shape and to transform our lives. He is like that coach within us, that companion who's cheering us on. And as we run, we're being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is why we have the holy joy among us. This is why we have a deep sense of purpose and gladness that comes uh, over us. And it's in this passage, and and this is quite interesting, but it's here in this passage in which Paul implies a very important question. And the question I think that he implies in this moment is who are going to be your running mates? Because this is a long course. Who are you going to run with? Who are you going to run with? Uh, My daughter Maren has started cross country as well, and I've noticed that who she decides to run with in cross country actually determines her performance on the course. And that should make sense. I'm not going to, you know, name some of your, your, your running mates and who are good decisions or not. But that, that, should be, um, that should be common sense to us, right? Your running mates determine how you run. And so Paul, in this passage, he says, are you going to run with me? Are you going to imitate me and some of the other godly leaders in your life? Are you going to run like us as we seek Christ together in his kingdom? Or are you going to run with some of the others? And we don't know exactly who the others are who Paul is talking about in this passage. But it's pretty safe to assume, based off of some of the clues uh, throughout this letter, that these are people who were actually a part of their community. These are people who Paul knows himself. And for whatever reason, though, they've broken off of the community with animosity and anger. And Paul says here in this passage that he weeps because they're no longer a part of the body of Christ with them. They're no longer a part of the community. And you can hear how he he loves these people and he hopes and he longs for them to be restored back into the community. But for now, he calls it how it is. He says these people are actually running as enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. What What a peculiar phrase. You see, when these people see Jesus' victory on the cross, They see it as a a source of shame, a source of embarrassment. It's something that they scoff at. It's not something that they're proud of. The idea of of God, the creator, coming uh, coming down to earth, clothing himself in flesh, yeah, maybe that's fine. But the fact that he would actually subject himself to be crucified by the Romans like a slave, like a rebel, like they are enemies of the cross. They think that's absolute foolishness. And so rather than placing their hope in God, rather than placing their hope in the heavenlies, in the mysteries of the cross, instead, Paul says that their God is their bellies. 
Their appetite is for the things of this world. The object of their hope is not upward into the mysteries of Jesus, but rather the object of their hope is, is no higher than their belly buttons. They're, they have their eyes set on a different prize. They look to the things of this world to satisfy them. Maybe it's a bottle. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's, 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 I don't know, maybe it's food. Who knows what it is? But it's things of this world that they're looking at as their fulfillment. So friends, if there's anything that you're looking to for, fulfillment, for absolute fulfillment, maybe it's, again, the, the victory of your political party or whomever, like those will only lead to further destruction. There is no hope in those things. Who you run with matters, Paul tells us. Because who you run with determines what your goal is. It determines what your trajectory is. It determines what the outcome and the, and the pace of your life, the, the character of your life is actually going to look like. Are you going to surround yourself with others who can also run through the power of the Holy Spirit? In this moment of, of, of monotony, how will you remind yourself that your citizenship is in heaven? That your belonging, your goal, your home is in heaven? Now, if you're here this morning and you have no idea how to answer that, I've got good news for you. We are a community that will love to be your running mates. We want to run with you. We're not, we're not interested in doing this, this thing alone by ourselves either. We want to fold you into this community. We want you to be a part of the race as we strive towards Christ together. Now, I'm not saying that we're experts. I'm not saying that we won't hurt each other's feelings sometimes or maybe say the wrong things. Like, that'll, that'll happen. But we are all committed to the purposes of Jesus Christ himself and his kingdom. And we want to ensure that you're not going to be going through life alone. And so that's why when you, if you open up our website and go to our church calendar, you're going to see all sorts of events just to like, because we are fighting to keep this community together. You're going to see some events that are like on Zoom. You're going to see some events that are, are Bible studies on Zoom. You're going to see small groups that are meeting, uh, some in person, some online, all of that. Like we're trying to come up with a, a variety of options for you that no matter what your, your um, risk tolerance level is uh, in gathering, like we want to make sure that there is a way for you to have running mates through this next hard and difficult lap around the calendar, we'll say. So don't, ha don't go through this alone, as I, ho I hope you hear me saying. So you can have a home here where we seek Jesus and his kingdom together. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are our prize. And forgive us, Lord, when we're distracted with other things, when we look to other things to give us fulfillment and hope in this world. Because, Lord, this world will, will disappoint us. So help us, Lord, to fix our gaze to you. May we be focused on you, Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I thank you for the church. I thank you for your bride. I thank you, Lord, for this, this garden of faith where you are raising up fruits of the Spirit, like joy and peace and celebration. And Lord, we long with expectation that you will continue to tend this garden well. So Lord, as we're dispersed, as some people are able to gather with us on Sundays and some aren't, Lord Jesus, may you give us creative imaginations to make sure that we bind together as, as your church, bringing restoration here to South Minneapolis and throughout the Twin Cities. We love you, Jesus, and it is in your holy and beautiful name that we pray all these things. Amen.